Hello, and welcome to Playability, where we hold conversations at the crossroads of gameplay and accessibility. I'm your host, Rebecca Strang, and I'm joined today by Sean Epperson of Thing 12 Games. Sean recently had a successful Kickstarter campaign for The Seals of Cthulhu, which should be fulfilling in early 2019. Welcome to the show, Sean. Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, very glad to have you here. So can you tell our listeners a bit about The Seals of Cthulhu, what the development path was like and about the game itself? Uh, yeah, it was actually kind of interesting. The Seals of Cthulhu started off as an idea that I had that I wanted to explore, which one player has something that the other player wants, and they know that that thing has no intrinsic value to them. But the value comes in the fact that the other player wants what they have. And the other player has that same condition and the two of them have to sort of figure out how am I more successful than the other person, kind of like through a trading thing. Mm-hmm. I did a mock-up of the game, and it was inherently unfun. It was just terrible. So I shelved it for, I don't know, like six months, a year or so, and kind of forgot about it. And we were going to a friend's house, and I was pulling some stuff out. I've got a, a designer box that I keep all these pieces in, and I, I needed something for some game. And I happened to see these cards that I made, and I'm like, oh, I remember this game. It was <laughs> terrible. And all of a sudden, I had this moment of serendipitous uh, inspiration. And all of a sudden, I thought, I know how to fix this. I, I think I know what was missing. And uh, <laughs> quickly, you mocked up the cards and went off to my our friend's house for game night. I'm like, okay, before we play any games, we have to test this out. I have to find out if this is like on track or not, or if I'm crazy. And, you know, of course, it was unbalanced and all that kind of stuff. But the fun was there, the piece that was missing. I was like, oh, yay. <laughs> From that point on, kind of kept working on it. And I like the idea of having the two opposing sides. We thought about, well, what would make a good oppositional force sort of situation? And I've always been wanting to kind of do my own Cthulhu-style game. You know, big fan of, of that mythos. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, so uh, the characters are investigators and the cultists. And the investigators, their goal is to essentially shut down the cultist and end up having the most control point. Each card that they have has a, a value and a control value, basically like a victory point value. Because the interesting thing about it is that all of your cards have half of the art on them. And in order to actually use the ability, there's sort of like three different ways that your card is useful. To actually use the ability on the card, you have to get the card from the other player. And you do that through this blind bidding mechanism where each player on their turn is going to put a card face down and they're going to put out a bit of what they're willing to give to the other player in order to take control of that card, have that face up and accessible to them. And the other player can come back and a bit over the top of them and it kind of goes back and forth. Once a card is flipped face up, the other person gets all of the bidding currency that was put out. And uh, once that card's available, you can use it for further bidding potential. So your card's useful for bidding to try and gain control over different cards, or it can be useful for having victory points, or useful if you get both halves of using an ability that allows you to really kind of wreck the other player in different ways. And because it's a Cthulhu game, there's always going to be one Elder God in each game, and, and the Elder Gods do some pretty crazy things. Uh, sometimes there are things that you don't necessarily want to have control of. Like you don't actually want to have both of them. And that's a good way to try and trick the other player into thinking that, well, okay, they're bidding pretty heavily on this. They really want this card. And all of a sudden they get it and they're like, oh, great. Now I have control over this thing and it's it's starting, it's going to start wrecking me. <laughs> yeah, I did um, 
print and play preview of the game when it was released and the matching of the two halves of the card art was something that I really enjoyed with the game. I can't think off the top of my head, I can't really think of another game where I've seen that. So that was a really cool way to use that mechanic. And the bidding process was a lot of fun because, you know, you're not just playing the game, you're kind of playing the player too. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that was a lot of fun. And so here at Playability, we do like to have a focus on accessibility in gaming. So what does accessibility mean to you? Accessibility to me means that as many players as possible are able to enjoy the gaming experience at the table. And then that should cross borders across, you know, genders, across uh, religious barriers, across maybe physical uh, disabilities or, or things like that. So I started off in the video game industry and I've been in the industry for like 15, 18 years, something like that. So I'm very familiar with the visual media of having to make accommodations in order to be accessible to a wider variety of people. For example, having things that are color friendly for people that happen to be colorblind, and there's lots of different colorblind variations. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the most common tend to be red, green, purple, yellow, blue, orange, things like that, where they happen to look really close aligned. We saw an issue with this in the board game industry with Century Spice Road. There's a lot of cubes in that game, mm -hmm. and the colors that they chose for those cubes happened to be in a palette that made it really difficult for colorblind people to differentiate between what they were. And that wasn't an issue in Century Road. They fixed that with the, the gems. And I think they tried to fix it with their, their next game because they got a lot of flack for it. Deservedly so. And I think these are things that are um, they're easy to be aware of. And publishers especially have... It's on us to be aware of them and to find out you know, ways to work around them around things. There's lots of different ways to do that. For Seals of Cthulhu, one thing that I wanted to do as far as accessibility is make sure that there wasn't the white male like kind of focus of character types was pretty prevalent and can still be somewhat prevalent in a lot of different games. And you'll see that in a lot of like space games, like maybe from like five years ago where everybody's a white dude, right? Mm -hmm. like, that's not really cool. Like <laughs> we don't we want everyone to feel like they have you know, some sort of representation in a game. And I think that that's a cool thing to have. So all of our characters are a lot of different visual looks as far as like the racial tones, how they come across. We even have two female characters, one male character and one character that you're not really sure. I mean, they, they could be male, they could be female, a little more, you know, gender nonspecific. Mm -hmm. Great. And so when you were playtesting Seals of Cthulhu, were there any challenges that you came across where you had to tweak or alter anything as far as accessibility with the game? Uh, let's see. Anything we had to tweak? Not specifically. I mean, from from the design point forward, I'm always that's always kind of in the back of my mind. I'm always mm -hmm. thinking about that stuff. Um, when we got to the art stage, when we were designing the the playable characters. I, I specifically told the artist, you know, here's what I want to do. Here's the sort of thing that we want to capture. You know, these character types, you know, these sort of looks, uh, these, you know, ethnicities, things like that. So, I mean, that, and when we did playtesting with those, nobody ever complained. If anything, we had people saying, oh, that was really cool that you have, you know, this character type or that you got this, you know, one of the reviewers we had, he was super excited that we had someone that was kind of gender fluid in the game. 
was very you know, unique for them to see. And then I thought, yeah. hey, all right, that's cool. We, <laughs> we, we, we made someone else feel, you know, included in, in the gameplay. That's great. So, um, yeah, I mean, because I'm always thinking about that, we typically don't have any issues with it because we're mindful of it from the start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a great point, too. I think a lot of people, when you're asking about accessibility, a lot of people will come back and say, oh, but it takes more time or it costs more money to make things accessible like that. But I think if it's something that is in the minds of the designers and the publishers from the beginning, and it's something you're planning for, and it's just something you do, then it alleviates a lot of having to go back and change things because you're getting feedback that a game isn't as welcoming as you thought it was. Yeah. And I think that's, <laughs> I'll, I'll be a little, uh, a little honest here. I think someone complaining that it's, it costs more money. I think that's a cop out. Mm-hmm. That's not an acceptable answer for me. I, I think that there's always some creative way that you could make something more accessible. Like if it's, you know, a colorblindness issue, if it's a physical issue, you know, things like that. You're, we're creative people. And that's the whole, whole thing of, of doing game design is thinking creatively, thinking outside of the normal box and spend some time thinking. Like, I guarantee you can come up with some way that is not going to break the bank and make the game, you know, unattendable financially to make it more accessible. Yeah. And so as far as the art for the game, I love all of the art of the game. That was one of the first things that drew me to Seals of Cthulhu. And I know you've got a trio of artists who did various things in the game. So can you tell us a little bit about that team? Yeah. Uh, so the artist, Sun Duong is the main character and creature artist, the card artist. He's someone that is uh, actually a neighbor of mine. He was a couple of houses down for me and he designed the logo for Thing 12 Games. Really cool guy, really awesome artist. I've always been wanting to work with him in a game-specific way. His art is very... A lot of his art is really dark and really kind of spooky and supernatural. Mm-hmm. And he's got this really cool sort of almost graffiti-style design to it a little bit. And I felt like when it came to the Cthulhu mythos that he would be a great artist to kind of have this different take on what Cthulhu and, and all these creatures and, and things look like. And he actually was completely unaware of what any of that was. Like he didn't know who <laughs> Cthulhu was or anything. And I'm like, well, that's perfect. And he's like, well, maybe I need to go look up and see what all these things are. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'll give you a description of what they could be, but I want your creative mind to come up with what you think that is. What's that visual interpretation to you? And being a, a classical painter, uh, that's, what he, he does, he does a lot of like physical paintings. Um, he's done mirrors on, on buildings here in Seattle and whatnot. He came at it with a much different look than you typically see in, in board game art. And I, I was super excited about that. So not only does the art have this holistic, uh, different look to it, but it's got a unique spin on what Cthulhu looks like and what, you know, Neralithotep and all these other creatures, you know, that he conjured up out of his brain that, you know, he was like, well, I, I think it might look like this. <laughs> uh, Darren is doing, he did the, the logo for us and he did the, the original box art. He's been doing stuff with us for, gosh, um, since the, almost the inception of Thing 12. He's kind of our, our in-house, uh, box art artist. Uh, he does a, a lot of cool stuff. He did the art for Dice of Crowns. He did the art for Dice of Pirates. 
a really talented guy that I worked with back in the video game days. And uh, he was a designer, but he also had a lot of like really cool art that he did. And eventually he left the game design world because video game design world can be kind of chew people up and spit them out. And uh, so he was doing his own thing. And I had contacted him way back in the day and was like, hey, you know, I'd really like to have you do some art for us. And he was he was at a point where he didn't really feel as strongly about his art as he really should have. And I was excited that we could actually be there to empower him and get him, you know, mentally up to a really good state of, of feeling more confident about himself. So we like working with people that we that we know and people that are good hearted and have, have a good mind space. And uh, yeah. so Darren was a was a natural. Chris Quistorf is our illustrator. He does a lot of our Kickstarter stuff. Um, he does a lot of uh, layout things for us. Chris is incredibly talented. He is just a, a wonderkind as far as like being able to crank things out in insanely fast amounts of time. <laughs> he made a playable version of Dice of Crowns in Unity in like a day. And he came back and was like, hey, I made this thing. You know, we could use it for the video. I'm like, oh, my Lord. You just, you just, you just did that. That's insane. That's crazy. So he's super fun to work with. Yeah, I mean, we, we we work with a lot of different people. There's a lot of different artists that we're also working with on a bunch of other projects and, and whatnot. And it's something that I, I really enjoy is getting to kind of start to work with all these different people and be able to bring their art, bring their talents and, and show the world what these people can do. I think that's cool. Yeah, like I said, all the art is gorgeous, and I would, it kind of blows my mind. I would never have guessed that the creature art was done by someone who was totally unfamiliar with the Lovecraft mythos. They look amazing. <laughs> yeah, he did such a good job. Like each time he turned one in, I'm like, wow, that's just amazing. So, I mean, we really didn't do any revisions per se. There was one I think we tweaked a little bit, but. Most of them, like the first thing that he turned in as far as, you know, the initial sketches before he really got into painting was like, yeah, that's great. Let's do it. Let's go with that. That's cool. <laughs> that's amazing. So what's your favorite part of Seals of Cthulhu? My favorite part? Um, I love the really interesting combos that you can get. So usually when you use an item, you have to break that item to use its ability. You've got both face up and you're going to turn one face down. But there are other cards that will let you turn cards that are face down back face up. So if you're if you're planning and you're you're clever enough, you can actually get some interesting combos where you can, you know, trigger a card multiple times and and trigger a couple different things and really mess up a player. I, I think that's that's really kind of a cool thing to kind of like work towards because you've only got a very small number of rounds to make it happen. So you really have to kind of dial in, like, okay, how am I going to? I'm going to do this. I need to do this thing and this thing, but then I can do this. Yeah, it's kind of like the tiniest engine builder <laughs> in a <Right>. game. <laughs> <laughs> and so what do you think makes this game memorable for players? Uh, the thing that makes it memorable, I, I think, is just the kind of experience that you can have in a short amount of time. I mean, it gives you that sort of that deep thinky, how am I going to outwit my opponent sort of feeling that you get from a lot of like crunchier games. But it plays in 20 minutes. So you can have mm -hmm. these sort of explosive games where you can get just totally wrecked. And it's not, you don't feel like, oh, well, I'm never playing this game again because <laughs> it's only 20 minutes, right? So I'm like, okay, I know, I see where I screwed up. Because if you look down, you're like, okay, I did this, this triggered, he did this thing because of that. 
you can sort of like sort of backpedal and walk backwards to the game and see where you might have screwed up and you could have done something a little differently. Maybe you overspent on something or you used a card maybe when you shouldn't have strategically. And because that time frame is so short, you're like, okay, I'm going to try this again, but I'm going to do things a little bit differently this time. Awesome. And so taking into consideration, you know, the theme, the mechanics, the accessibility that we've talked about, who would you say is the primary target audience for Seals of Cthulhu? Primary audience is people that enjoy two-player games, people that enjoy thinky games where they have to outwit and strategize around their opponent. All right. And for listeners who are interested in getting a copy but may have missed the Kickstarter, where can they pre-order and what is your current fulfillment schedule? Uh, If someone's interested in checking it out and they want to get on the pre-order, they can go to kickstarter.com and look up Seals of Cthulhu. There is a link there that will take them to the pre-order page. Okay. And our current fulfillment, we're still tracking for early next year. We are currently working on all of the wood boxes. There were two different tiers in in the Kickstarter where people could get a basic kind of a prototype version of the game with uh, these really cool wood boxes that are laser engraved with the logo on them. We're currently painting all of those. That's taking a lot of time. <laughs> they look <laughs> <But> great, though. <laughs> <laughs> they look gorgeous, though. Uh, so I'm getting those made. We're working on the box art. There's a couple surprises in store for people that backed. And anyone that happens to get in on the pre-order, they'll be a part of that as well. So we're finishing up those things. And then we got to get uh, everything in over to manufacturing. So all the, the cards are basically done. And we're just finishing up the rules manual as far as like its layout and look and that sort of thing, as well as the um, some physical pieces that are part of the board game box itself. Okay, great. And for people who want to keep up with news and find you guys online, where can they find you and uh, Thing12 Games online? Uh, we are on Instagram at Thing12Games. We are on, <laughs> I'm on Twitter all the time at Thing12Games <laughs> and on Facebook, Thing12Games. And uh, our website is www.Thing12Games.com. All right, great. Well, hopefully everybody will go and check that out. Like I said, it's a fun game, quick, and the art is beautiful. So you'll definitely want to go take a look at that. Thank you so much for joining us today to talk about the Seals of Cthulhu. Yeah, thank you for having me on again. I really appreciate it. All righty. And thank you listeners for listening to this episode of Playability. If you have any questions or comments you would like to share with us, please email us at playabilitypod at gmail.com or find us on major social media platforms at PlayAbilityPod. Thanks again for listening. I hope this episode helps you play with a new perspective.